So this week I was driving in my car and I had my kids with me and there was an accident on the Veterans Expressway. You guys know where that's at? And we get ah, at least a mile and a half, if not two miles away, and the traffic is still backed up. I'm like, man, first of all, I'm glad we're not going that way. I'm glad we're watching from this side. And I just kept pointing out to the kids, the traffic is still backed up. The traffic is still backed up and it's still backed up. I can't believe how far the traffic is backing up. And so what came to me, I thought of Hannah, because what was happening in that situation is something that happened way over here was affecting something that was happening way over here. And it made me think of how Hannah's decisions and choices. Now, this situ- in this situation, something bad happened and was affecting everyone over here. Uh, but in Hannah's situation, her obedience impacted way more than her. So Samuel is a very important person in the storyline of the Messiah. The books, 1st and 2nd Samuel, fall between the books, the book of Judges and the book of the Kings. And Samuel was, he, he was um, a transitioning figure from Israel who was currently being ruled by the judges to becoming ruled by the kings. He was the last judge of Israel and he would point to the first two kings of Israel including King David, who was a man after God's own heart. Um, there in the Bible, it actually says that God has given us that same heart of worship that he gave David, he's given to us. So King David was a very significant figure as well in the storyline of Jesus. Uh, so we can see that Samuel's life was very important uh, when it comes to even our lives today. And, and the, the choices that Hannah made. And it makes me think about our choices. And do we look at them that way? Uh, and I wonder if Hannah, you know, did Hannah know that this was the child that she would carry? I mean, I wonder what she's thinking now, you know, just her obedience and what it meant. Uh, you know, we open th- th- this story and we see a woman who is in a lot of pain. She's grieving. It introduces her as a woman of great sorrow. She is reduced to tears. She is unable to eat. She's stressed. She's depressed. Um, you know, I don't know what you do when you're experiencing stress, but I've recognized that when I'm stressed, I actually eat a lot. And when I'm depressed is when I stop eating. And uh, if you talk to people who study the brain, uh, many of them will tell you that depression is a lower form of brain function than actual stress and anxiety. Uh, so once you've reached depression, you're kind of bottoming out. So she, we, are, we are seeing a woman who was bottoming out. She was a woman in waiting. And she, you know, she's enduring the scorn and she's enduring the sorrow and she's enduring the shame. She's endure, enduring the taunting of another person who seems more blessed than her. Um, she's being tormented. She's living with barrenness. And it's all part of a greater purpose. So your first fill in the blank there is your pain has a purpose. Your pain has a purpose. In the middle of her barrenness, in the middle of her lacking, we see God's grace. In Elkanah, her husband's love for her, his adoration for her. It's like 
It reminds me of manna in the wilderness for the Israelites and God's promise to grant us the grace to walk through whatever he has put in front of us. You know, whatever, whatever we're walking through, he's giving us something to, to, to help with um, the, the pain of what we're walking through. And that's how I see Elkanah's love and adoration for Hannah. You know, Peninnah was taunting Hannah. And I imagine that part of it might have been the adoration that Elkanah had for Hannah. And so Peninnah has this thing that she has that Hannah doesn't have. And Hannah has this thing that she has that Peninnah doesn't have. And I see that thing that Hannah had was part of God's grace to her. Uh, it, It still wasn't enough, right? It wasn't enough to satisfy the desire of her heart, but it was God's grace. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 10, which is there on your handout, it says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Hannah's life was being used to usher in the king of kings. Her son's life would point to the king's but ultimately she would be written in the storyline of bringing heaven to earth. We never know what God wants to use our pain for, but we do carry his spirit. We walk around with the spirit of God. We bring heaven to earth when we display Christ. And for some reason, pain brings us to a place where we surrender our own will and our own heart even more to God so that he can use us. And when he uses us, when we surrender, when we give him the hard places, when we give him the pain, we start to reflect him more. So heaven is seen more on earth in our lives. What does Hannah do in her pain? She takes it into the presence of God. There is nothing like the presence of God to satisfy, to restore hope, to get us back up on our feet again, she took it to the right place. In verse nine, it says, before she went to the presence of God, she did eat, she ate, but then she took her real hunger and her real thirst to God. So her encounter with Elkanah, Elkanah's love for her, gave her enough grace to move from not eating to having a meal and then taking her bitterness and her sorrow, her bitter sorrow to the throne of God. It says in verse 10 that she cried bitterly. And I see this as her being honest with God about her pain. I think that's so important. Sometimes we may think that God is kind of, you know, I've even had people tell me this before. He's he's busy. He's got other things that he's dealing with. He doesn't need my problems too. And that's not true. I believe that God uses pain as a tool to get us to him. Because for some reason, when everything's going great, we're just fine. And we don't need God as much. But when we're brought to a place where we feel like it's impossible, we feel like we can't breathe, we feel like we can't take another step, we need something. And we cling to him. And when we cling to him, he gives us something. It might not be that thing that we were crying for in that moment, but he gives us something to get back up. We trust him more. We know he's kind. We see his faithfulness. And we're willing to take that to others from that experience. 
When I think of Hannah crying at the altar, I think of all the other sacrifices that were happening at this time. They were coming to Shiloh to make sacrifices to the Lord. And there were sacrifices happening. And I'm not sure if you read the middle of chapter 2 in our, in our study work. We started in the beginning of chapter 2 and then we jumped to the end. But in the middle, it talks about Eli's sons. They were the, the sons of the priest who actually saw Hannah crying. And they were kind of scoundrels. I mean, to say it as nicely as I can, they were kind of scoundrels. And they were actually defiling the sacrifices. Every sacrifice that was being made to God was first defiled by Eli's son, And then you see Hannah at the altar. I believe she was the most pure sacrifice made in Shiloh that year. It was a sacrifice of her heart. In Psalms 51, 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And he did not despise Hannah. So Eli the priest sees her crying, right? He thinks that she's drunk. He's misunderstanding. Elkanah misunderstood. Eli misunderstands. And the thing about Eli misunderstanding is he was spiritual leadership. And I'm just wondering if anybody in here has ever felt misunderstood by spiritual leadership, right? It happens. It happened to Hannah. It happens to us. People don't understand what we're going through, what we're dealing with. Even sometimes spiritual leadership is still human. And they don't get it and they don't understand. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't get it. It doesn't mean that God doesn't understand. And that's who we need to get it. That's who we need to understand. And that's why we take our pain into his presence so that he can tell us, I'm here and I understand. It's not directly said that God made a promise to Hannah. It doesn't say like, and then God said that he was going to give her a child. never says that. But I believe that on her face, in her barrenness, in her sorrow, in her pain, that she felt the promise in her heart. She felt the hope in her heart. And then when she got up, Eli used his words to confirm the promise that I believe God was sealing in her heart. Sometimes God wants to use our mouths to secure, to seal, to affirm, to speak a promise that he is speaking into someone else's heart. Never underestimate your words, their power, and what God might want to do with them. So, Hannah gets up. She's still waiting, right? She's still waiting. It's not like she like concedes at the altar, right? She's still got to wait. And what does she do? She gets up the next morning and she worships, you know? And, and this, then the waiting is still happening. Back then, I don't think they had pregnancy tests. And maybe, maybe they had some way of knowing. I don't know. But she still had to wait. And she also had to wait to know it was a son. That's what she asked the Lord for. She asked him for a son. And that is what he gave her. So in our waiting, what do we do? What do we do? What is our response to waiting? Do we worry? Do we doubt? Do we let fear sink in? Do we wander? Or do we take our pain and our suffering and our sorrow and our hurt back again and again and again into the presence of God. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to keep coming back into his presence. He will meet us there every single time. There's people in our lives that have been late, that never showed up. God always shows up. He's faithful. Every time we go into his presence, he shows up and he gives us hope. He never, ever, 
ever leaves us there. He might not give us the exact thing that we're asking for in the exact moment that we're asking for it, but he will give us the grace to get up and he will restore our hope. Number two, barrenness births promise. Whatever your barrenness is, it's going to birth promise. Maybe it's a promise to God. Maybe it's a promise from God because when you took your barrenness into the presence of God, he gave you a promise. It's always going to birth hope in the dark. And the hope that you get in the dark might be the hope that the person that you're going to encounter in the next season of your life, that's going to be their dark. And you're going to be able to pour out the hope that God gave you in your dark. So my question for you is what might God be birthing out of your barrenness? Samuel was a bridge builder between the judges and the kings. His life was a bridge What bridge might God want to build through you, through your life? In verse 21, it says, The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow. But Hannah did not go. She told her husband, Wait until the boy is weaned. Then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there. With the Lord permanently, I will leave him there permanently. Then in verse 23, it says, whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed, stay here for now and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. There's two things in here that really stood out to me. Maybe some of you, I felt this way at times. I actually dealt with this this week, have are feeling like God has sat you out. It's not your turn. He said, stay here. And it hurts and you don't understand why, but you didn't hear the second part, which is stay here for now. Stay here for now. Because your pain has a purpose and your birthing promise. And in order for the promise to come, he needs you to stay here now. We try to fight it out. We try to run out. We try to get out of the place he wants us to stay. And he's saying, stay here. Trust me. I have something. I just need you to stay here now. And there's one other thing that really, really stood out to me. And that is for all of the mamas who feel that you are in the unseen place. You've had to stay home sometimes. You feel left out. You don't get to do everything that everybody else is doing. It's hard. What if what you're doing is raising up a child who is going to do something incredible for the kingdom of God? Maybe that's why God has you staying home. Maybe that's why he's saying, stay here for now. What if you're raising a Samuel? What if you're raising a Moses? What if you're raising a Joseph? What if you are raising a David or a Mary? We don't know. But we do know that we are raising priests. We are all part of a royal priesthood. We are raising carriers of the Holy Spirit to go out and live their purpose on this planet. And so she stayed home. She did not go to worship. She didn't get to go. 
and she was taking care of a boy that she would release over to God. And when we read about Samuel's life and how he behaved in Eli's house, we see a young man who was after God's heart. What Hannah was doing at home was probably the most important thing she ever did in her life. The three years that she got to spend with Samuel. In verse 24, it says, When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. And Hannah asked, Sir, do you remember me? I'm the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there. They brought along a bull to make a sacrifice, but I believe that the real sacrifice was probably holding Hannah's hand, the three-year-old Samuel, that she would leave. I can't imagine that moment. I can't imagine the obedience that that took. I have four children and I would not have wanted to get rid of a single one at three years old. So we look at this story and sometimes we think, oh, Hannah got the miracle. Hannah got the promise. But Hannah lived with the pain every single year. She was reminded of the pain. This was not a one-time surrender. In verse 19, it says that each year his mother made, I love this, it's so sweet, she made him a small coat. And it reminds me of the covering that we talked about with Ruth and Boaz, right? Boaz's covering, if he would put his cloak over her, it was a covering. And I just picture her making this sweet little coat for him. And just, it was going to cover him. A mother's love had covered him. And she would come every year and she would see her son and she would keep her promise. Every year. She would make another sacrifice when she left Samuel behind. It was not easy. It could not have been easy. That was the sacrifice that she made. And the promise that she kept. We never know the measure of grace God is extending to those who are walking out impossible things. There was a grace. She declares in her song, in chapter 2, she opens up with what? The Lord has made me strong. The Lord gave her the strength. Her praise is, God, you made me strong enough to do this. His grace is always enough, even to do the impossible. And the sacrifice that he wants is our surrendered heart. In Hosea 6, 6, it says, For I desire, mer- I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. He wants us to know him. And I haven't gotten to know him more than when I have felt barren and lost and hurting and suffering. Those are the places I have met him the closest and known him the most intimately. Pain has a purpose and it births a promise. Romans 12, 
verses 1 and 2 say, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and custom, um, customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Pain leads us into our purpose. If we will offer our pain as a sacrifice back to the Lord. So Hannah's decisions, Hannah's obedience was affecting way more than herself. And I'm certain that once this boy was grown, it doesn't mention Hannah again, so we don't know where she was, but I'd like to think that God gave her the ability to see what Samuel would do. And that was probably pretty cool, right? That's probably when the pain started to relieve a little bit. The years she missed became worth it. And that's how God works, right? When, when we get past, it's like birthing a child, right? When you're birthing something, it's really painful. It's super painful to go through childbirth. But once the baby's here, you forget all about the pain. It's gone. You don't even remember that it was painful anymore. And that's what it's like when we're birthing promises for God. It's painful. But once it comes out, the pain is gone and you forget the pain is you forget the pain that even existed. And so, what is your obedience doing? Who is your obedience going to impact? Who's watching you walk through barrenness? How will your right choice impact not only this generation, but the generation to come? Everything we do matters. It matters for more than us. It's not just about us. God is doing so much more. He's doing more than we can think or imagine. He does more with our sacrifices to him, with our surrenders to him, than all we can think or imagine. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for pain that draws us in close to you. And thank you even more for your presence, God. Your presence, it's, it's an open door, God. We, just, we can go in and you meet us there, God. Thank you that you always show up. You never leave us waiting. You're there, God. You make us wait, but never for your presence, God. I pray for each woman here that if she comes to your, into your presence today or tomorrow or the next day or this week, God, that she would feel you there, that she would know that you are with her, that you would restore hope, that you would give her vision for the future, and that you would help her to stand again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.